Welcome to Let's Talk About It, an ongoing conversation about implicit racial bias, justice, and the pursuit of reconciliation. I'm your host, Sammy Ortiz. I'm super excited to share the interview that I did with Daryl Williamson last Friday. Excited to have Daryl Williamson, the pastor of Living Faith Bible Fellowship, with us today, and uh, I'm so excited for his perspective on implicit racial bias and on justice and how to pursue reconciliation. So, uh, Pastor Daryl, welcome to today's podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, brother. Thank you, Sammy. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited about uh, this great vision you have uh, for this. Uh, ongoing conversation. Uh, we'll be praying with you, and uh, I feel privileged um, to chat with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being a part of this. So I'm going to go ahead and get right to it. Uh, uh, Pastor, have you ever seen implicit racial bias? Well, I have. Uh, I think it might, be, um, it might be helpful. Let me just start by kind of defining like what implicit racial bias is, at least in my opinion. I'm not you know, an expert, but certainly I, ha- I have experienced it. I think that, that you know, folks often think about racism explicitly, right? You know, someone who you know, openly and, and transparently uh, hates or doesn't like people of a different um, you know, race or ethnicity or background, they, they verbalize that, they do things to discriminate against, against them. Um, and so, and we all kind of feel that, and I think it's decidedly, um, unacceptable uh, to be that way today. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But implicit bias is something else, and I think what it what, what it, it speaks to is the unintended uh, discrimination that somebody does because of race, and it has everything to do with with their prejudice, meaning they have some kind of preconceived notion, either because um, they have been taught it or they interpret it from the media or for some reason they think, you know, these people are going to act this way. And so I'm just going to respond to it without even thinking I'm doing anything different. I'm just going to kind of respond to what I, what I see and what I feel. I think a good example of that in Acts chapter 6, uh, 1 through 7, a wonderful example, the, you know, the um, Grecian widows were being excluded from the food distribution in the church. No one dislike them. Nobody was trying to exclude them. There was no movement against the Grecian believers. They were just being left out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it was an implicit kind of devaluation of them. No one thought about them. Uh, and so I think that uh, for most people of color, I think we've experienced that kind of thing in several ways. So uh, one of the things that jumps out at me in my personal uh, history is that when I was an undergraduate, uh, I was coming out of the bookstore um, with uh, my bag of books um, that cost me a fortune, like everyone who uh, certainly remembers from their college days. Um, and um, and I'm just going out with a bunch of students. We're all just kind of there. I'm not. I'm by myself, and the security guard stops me, hmm. and uh, he was a guy and wants to search my my bag. He wants me to to show him my receipt. Now I know that people steal from bookstores all the time, but I mean, there was nothing that was, you know, different about me walking out the store like any other student, except that I was black. Wow. And, um, and 
obviously I was offended. Um, I verbalized it. I complied. Um, but I think that guard had no intended, you know, discriminatory, you know, thoughts. He just saw me, and he's thinking, let me just make sure this guy's a student. And so he's probably thinking this, this is not my default profile of thinking about who's a student at this school. And so, so I think that there are a whole variety of ways. I mean, the different examples kind of come to mind. Um, and I think people of color, black people, um, uh, especially depending on what part of the country it is, I think certainly like out in the Southwest, I think uh, our Latino brothers and sisters experience an awful lot out there. And, um, and so uh, it's deeply unfortunate, man, and it can show up in job interviews, uh, especially if um, someone, you know, sounds like they're ethnic, um, and it causes people to devalue their intelligence. Um, and it just causes them not to be drawn to them. Anytime you're interviewing somebody or, or you're evaluating someone's um, prospect of being part of your organization or your team or whatever, you got to be drawn to them. You have to kind of connect with them. Right. And if I don't connect with you, if, if I'm not drawn to you, I can't abstract out how I see you from what I want you to do. I, I just can't do that. I can't say, well, let me focus on their skills. Do they have the experience? I'm going to evaluate, evaluate you as a person. Hmm. And so if for some reason I disconnect from you as a person, disconnect from you as a person, I'm probably going to buy, be biased against you. And so and I think people of color experience that very often. And uh, even when others who are doing it have not only no intent of discriminating, they have no awareness Right, it's almost like it's, it's almost like a default. Exactly, exactly. It's like a default, uh, and because it's kind of underneath their intended consciousness, right? They think they're just like you know making a decision. Right. And as long as somebody comes along and does a study or something like that, you see, oh wait, there's a pattern here, and wow. that pattern can only be explained by prejudice. Wow, I'm so glad because that would have been my my next question. Have you ever experienced it? So. Great example of you walking out of that bookstore uh, at, at, at college and, you know, here, of all the people walking out, they had to single you out. Uh, and, you know, like you said, it probably wasn't something that he was trying to do, but nonetheless, he did it anyways. He most certainly did. And, and of course, his job is to protect the assets of the bookstore. But, you know, anyone that's being stopped should be stopped for some cause. I mean, it needs to be some way. I'm sure perhaps I look suspicious to him. Right. Um, but and it's not that we want to take something like this and try to, you know, like blow it up into some, like, you know, that thing is a sign of this person's racism. Uh, it's, not, it's not that as much as these are the experiences that, that people have. And, um, you know, those things accumulate to be a real, you know, a real existential problem. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, thank you so much for that that answer. The first question, which is, you know, have you seen or experienced implicit racial bias? The second question is, what does justice look like for people of color? What what, what does justice look like for us as people of color? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a good question, brother. And um, it's an interesting thing because I I believe that a lot of folks, you know, certainly think that. If we stop the explicit um, discrimination, if we rule it out, we have laws that say you can't do this, you can't do that, that that really kind of achieves um, like racial justice and, uh, and goes much further than that. I think that 
Justice is kind of an interesting little concept, man. I, mean, I think it can be very elusive. Uh, I think we, we tend to think about it in terms of, like, interpersonal things. Somebody stole from me. I want justice. Somebody hurt me. I want justice. And I think that's, that's true. I think biblically that's true, but it, I think it goes much further than that. I think that justice ultimately comes down to it's like we have this, let's just call it a social contract, that we're in a society, and that in this society there are, whole, there are social benefits. And so if those social benefits are withheld from someone or some group or something like that, um, they're not having access to those social benefits. These are societal benefits. If they don't have access to those societal benefits, then they live and they depend on that society. They depend on it for their, for their, for their living. It's not like we're all just kind of down and I'm not – going to treat you like everybody else, we depend on the interaction of people and processes and systems, and I can buy, sell, work, earn money, I can walk along the beach, or whatever those things are. That's what, that's what it means to live. If I don't have access to those benefits, that is a social injustice. Hmm. And I think social justice would be rectifying that situation so that I then have full access uh, to those those benefits, and so I think that implies that um, that there's a kind of um, equality, right? It means that there, there's no sense in which people uh, aren't able to um, advocate for themselves in society. Um, they certainly have access to, you know, like accountability systems like the courts and stuff like that. So it implies that there's some equality uh, there. Uh, and implies that my rights inside um, that um, kind of social order are being fully uh, defended, right? And mm-hmm. so if somebody decides to discriminate against me, then I can, you know, do something. I can sue or whatever um, to allow my rights to be defended. And so mm-hmm. if those things fall, um, then I am being I'm, – I'm, I'm, I'm a victim of injustice. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one more thing about a lot with uh, some of the folks in our church. We had a conversation about this about, I think, uh, a little while after uh, Ferguson. Mm-hmm. And when I showed them, I said, listen, the only way we can really get justice is through empowerment. And I think one of the reasons why injustice, social injustice, endures, right, is because the folks who are the victims of it never really truly gain the social leverage. Hmm. And so inclusion is all about how they but they're still kind of wards of the society, right? So it's mm-hmm. not like they're like uh, uh, leading, exercising, um, you know, kind of authority figures in the society. Mm-hmm. And so if they lack the ability to to act and not just protest. I mean, like to be, you know, judges or lawyers or whatever in, in a very, like, core way, then they're always asked to be Victims, and I think that's why, again, going back to Acts chapter six, one through seven, um, the way they remedied that injustice was not just to say, "Hey, listen, take the food to the Grecian widows." They empowered the Greeks, mm-hmm. and so brothers, um, you know, Stephen, Philip, and those guys became the leaders, and that was a way to not only to remedy injustice but to ensure justice. 
Right. And uh, and I think um, that's what we, um, you know, certainly need to pursue if we want to see justice uh, endure uh, socially. No, that's great. You know, it's so true because those 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 six people that were selected to be basically the deacons were the ones that were looking out right. for the people that uh, were were overlooked. And uh, that's right. so that empowerment made sure that the people that were overlooked would never get overlooked and, again. So Exactly. And also sending a very strong message to the you know, the Jewish believers. Right. That we value the Grecian believers so much so we're gonna make them core to the leadership. And we we realize that it was all of us, mainly, you know, the, the Hebrew brothers who walked with Jesus, who were closest to him. But we're going to find some, some Greek dudes who are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they love the Lord, they have great reputation. We're going to have them lead in this area um, and uh, to send a very strong message that we are one church. Wow, so good. And, and something that we need as a society, to, uh, that we need somebody to herald that we are one society. Even though we have so many people of different ethnicities, different nationalities, uh, we are one society. We are only one United States. It's not like we're broken up as 50 different states and we all get to do whatever. Uh, what affects one state affects them all. And uh, just, like, just like, you know, they needed that, uh, you know, the, 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 the empowerment for the, the Grecian uh, the, the 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 Grecian people in what the story that you're talking about in Acts chapter six. That's right. So we today need that empowerment to take place, uh, where people can can be, if anything else, the, the the people that stand on the wall and say, wait a minute, we we will not allow that to happen to uh, exactly. to people of color. Oh, that's, that's so right, on, brother. That's right on. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's missing in the church is a really sound and thorough teaching about how the Lord pursued and established both social justice and social equality in the nation of Israel. And I, I think and, and that extended into the church. And I think that if we really if we looked at the laws, for example, like how um, the people of Israel were to treat sojourners, mm-hmm. is that there was very clear that the Lord did not want them mistreated, that you must not mistreat them. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to work and pay them fairly, mm-hmm. um, that you can't consume all your resources on yourself. The fact that, that the Lord told people not just to harvest everything was said that it would be wrong for you to consume all your stuff for yourself. Mm-hmm. It would be wrong. Mm-hmm. And so if establish that as a means of righteousness. I mean, I tell you, brother, it's an amazing thing, man, when I think about how folks, I hear folks say things like with the health care debate. Whatever we think about the Affordable Care Act, that, that's, that's a side concern. But the principle is, do I have a responsibility to look out for the interests of my neighbor? Hmm. Do I have a responsibility to do that? This goes all the way back, man, to if, if we have any thought about whether it's wrong to really ask that question and mean it, all we got to do is go uh, to see uh, Cain's question to God about his brother Abel. When the Lord asked him, hey, brother's like, am I my brother's keeper? Hmm. And so, so the Lord is making it very clear throughout all of, script, all of Scripture, before him, he has given us a charge that we have a shared responsibility for each other. And anything that some implies that we don't is not of God, brother. 
Mm. It's just not. And so whether it be in a church or whether it be in a nation, God expects for us to be concerned for each other, and in particular, to be concerned for those who are weak. Wow. It's incredible to me that Christians are, in so many cases, the church is a leading voice for not openly and actively loving others any way we can. If that means that, okay, great, you know, we need to have um, some kind of, you know, fair uh, and efficient health care system so people who don't have health care or can't afford it can take their children to the doctor. Hmm. Because Hmm. if they can't, I don't, I don't, if, if you can't take your, your children or if your aging grandmother can't take her medicine because she can't afford it, I am not loving you if I'm not moved by that, man. Wow. I'm not loving you. Right. And so, and so th- th- these are the things that, and it's scary to me, brother, that the church has been so unstirred by these concerns. And so much so that a guy who has no interest in these issues really at all can be elected to the presidency. Hmm. Not only to the presidency, but elected to the president, a brother who was lifted to the presidency by the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. That's tight, brother. That's tight, man. That's tight. And, um, and so, um, so, yeah, man, I think it's essential that, that we see that God has a real concern uh, for justice, and if we don't share that concern, we probably don't know God as we should. And um, and so and I think that's something that, uh, as pastors, uh, we need to make sure that the people whom we are, you know, shepherding, that they understand God's heart on those issues, um, and so they can, uh, you know, be conformed to the likeness of Christ. So good, so good. I'll tell you what, I'm doing everything I can to not start preaching on this thing, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that what they're hearing Brother. from you will stir them, will stir them to do good works. And, uh, well, Pastor, my last question for you is this one. Uh, how do we pursue reconciliation? We understand already that implicit racial bias is is evident. Uh, you know, uh, uh, as, as one would say, Ray Charles can see it. Uh, we understand that we, we, you, you've described what justice would look like, that, that we need to care for people, that we need to care for people like we would want to be cared for, uh, and that no one should be left out on that. And, and so the, the final question is, how do we pursue reconciliation in a nation where it's so tense, uh, where racism, we still see it, the head of racism has not been chopped off. Uh, in in mm-hmm. most cases, it hasn't even been defined. I define racism as sin, and many people shy away from saying that it is, but I define it as such. And so this head has not been chopped off. But more than that, how do we as people, how do we as the people of God, and how do we as people of this society pursue reconciliation for all, especially people of color? Amen. That's really good, brother. Um, yeah, I think that that really is the core the core question is how do we really come together um, and heal these deep wounds, these historical breaches? Uh, I think um, I think it starts with a, a real sense, especially amongst believers. It starts with community. 
is that we have to create, I think, the, the, the Lord's answer to social inequality is, a, is ultimately, ultimately, even though he's concerned about how it works out in our, in our society today, but I think ultimately there, there are two phases, I, I think, in how he responds to that. Uh, the ultimate response is the kingdom of God, right? And so mm-hmm. where he will wipe everything out and replace today's disorder with a new social order that will have um, a completely equitable um, and highly loving relational um, society, which would be the kingdom of God. And, uh, and so that, that's his ultimate answer. I think his interim answer is the church. And so the church is to, is to be a preview of the kingdom. Hmm. And the church should live out this, you know, one community, different peoples coming together into one new identity. Uh, that's what the church is intended to live out. And so the church is to be that response. Now, the question is, is how can the church be that response? And so I know that there has been, like, going back to the 90s with, like, all the Promise Keepers movement, there's a lot of, like, you know, black churches and white churches and Latino churches kind of coming together for occasional fellowship. And I don't think that's bad at all. But I think, I think what's really needed, which is the kind of thing that, that I think you're doing, is it is the establishing of multicultural churches. Mm. I think the church will be the church the more we establish um, diverse communities where people come together and support each other uh, across their, you know, cultural and ethnic, you know, heritage. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, think, I think if the church does that, I think that's where it starts. And I think we see that in Scripture, basically the whole project for how the Lord's impacting society in the New Testament is through a church that lives out the principles and values of the kingdom. I think that's, that's the first thing. And if we're doing that, um, then I think we're good. I think, I think the next thing, though, is I do think that people need um, to make sure that they, with your first two questions help with, that they understand what the issues are mm. so they can realize the person's in their fellowship, the, the young black, you know, the 19-year-old black boy who's in my church who, who's a great kid, that there's another context he's living in than just our little community and it's love, right? He goes out into society, and now he's a young black man. Right. And so I need to understand that so I can look out for him, mm. so I can secure his welfare and, and, and love him fully. And so I think, I think we have to understand the issues, too, uh, and be sensitive to what's going on in society and stuff like that. Uh, but I think the main thing is, uh, is community. Um, and if we can establish that and model that, then I think we can lead in society. Uh, the church has failed that we've not modeled that in the past, you know, 200 years in this country. And so we've not led on these issues in society. Um, and so I think that that's what, if we could do that, I think that'd be tremendous. That's awesome. You know, I, I'm reminded of, uh, something that Paul wrote in Ephesians where he says that, uh, and I'm just going to read it out. It says, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been made near by the blood of Christ Amen. for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is, 
the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death to enmity. And he came Amen. and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near. And so, you know, Amen, I, I, you know, uh, God here is talking about that there were two, uh, in, in essence, two races, two people. Exactly. They were talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. And, uh, you know, I, exactly. I, I, I boil it down in, in a very simplistic way. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so, <laughs> you know, and so here comes Jesus. And by the very blood that he shed on that cross, he That's right. breaks down that wall that was a dividing wall, and he, out of two people, out of two races, he makes That's one. Right. And so he, and is the re- he is the reconciler. And so, you know, just to add to what you were saying, uh, you know, we, we need to effectuate the very reconciliation that comes through the blood of Christ into this sin that is called racism, and that Amen. will be the solution to it all. But we as a people need to see that. That truth needs to become evident to us. The Holy Spirit needs to be the one who enacts that in our hearts and in our minds so that it can become a reality, not just in our own lives, but it can become a reality in our churches, in our communities, and in our society. Brother, Sammy, that that, that passage is pivotal and I think you know one of the things it does just very quickly is that you know we often ask is this is racial justice is reconciliation a gospel issue? And you just read that passage, and I think ultimately the gospel centers around for what did Jesus die? Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt that Jesus died to atone for our sin. Mm-hmm. Jesus also died to reconcile us to God. He, he right. died that we might. Uh, share with him and his inheritance. He died for a whole variety of things that are included in the gospel. He also died to create one new man out of the two. Right. And so God, his death achieves that. And we we just need to understand that it doesn't happen though automatically and that there's work that we have to do um, to, to pull it off. All sanctification requires effort. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's a work. It just means that grace is working itself out as our minds are convicted and stuff like that to do and to be what we should do and be. Mm. And uh, and when the Spirit of God convinces us, convicts us, like, for example, Paul confronting Peter uh, that's talked about in Galatians 2, right? And so when that happens, Paul is acting out on uh, what he spoke to the Ephesian church about. Mm-hmm. is that this is the Lord making us one new man, because I'm going to ensure that our leaders are not going to discriminate. Right. And, um, and so it's, uh, it, it, it does require us to, you know, to, to respond and to, and to actively pursue it. Wow. Thank you so much. Well, Pastor Darrell, I so appreciate you. I appreciate your answers. I appreciate the leadership that you provide here in the Tampa Bay area. And uh, so excited for what God is doing at Living Faith. Bible Fellowship, and uh, not just there. I, I I know that you're going about and speaking uh, in other places, and so, uh, bro, keep on doing what you're doing, and keep on spreading this good news. God bless you, brother. God bless I appreciate you. you, brother. Man, I, I greatly value our friendship, and uh, always encouraged by you and your leadership. And uh, man, just um, 
thrilled uh, to see you pursue this and just pray that the Lord make it very, very fruitful. Amen. Well, Pastor, I, I'm going to ask this for those that are listening to this podcast. Would you would you close us out in prayer and 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 pray that uh, that implicit racial bias get uh, exposed, that justice is definitely uh, sought for, and that uh, reconciliation is pursued. Would you pray that for us, please? Absolutely, uh, Father God. I just thank you, Lord, for this conversation with Sammy. I- Pray, Lord, for those who uh, will hear this podcast, that they will uh, be drawn to you in this, that they'll see your heart. Uh, just as Sam has said, Father, I pray that you would um, you would just change the course of this and so the implicit bias based on race and culture would not be a predominant theme in our society. Mm-hmm. God, I just pray that you would just help justice to be done, that those who are um, victims of injustice, God, will come to see how valued they are, how much they are the Imago Dei uh, mm-hmm. by justice uh, being being done for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lord, just also pray, pray that the church would be the church that you envision, that we would be a church, a reconciled church, a a united church across all ethnicities and, and generations and cultures, uh, where we can talk about our differences but not be divided, and, Lord, that we can find true unity and that we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and that his Holy Spirit lives in us. Father, thank you, God, for your great love. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Darrell, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to uh, be a part of this. And uh, God bless you, and you will be a guest again. I am, I am for sure of this. Praise God, man. Sam, and this was fun. This is definitely a good time. I, I, I'm thrilled you're doing it, brother. I'm thrilled you're doing it. And um, and I, I will probably be a listener uh, to your podcast. So I'm going to be a part of your audience, brother. And Thank I'm going to share it with I'm gonna share with folks in the church. Um, and um, and so just hoping that um, the Lord is pleased to, uh, to use it and to, and to grow it, man. It would be awesome uh, if he's pleased to do that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, Pastor, you have a great day. Have a great weekend. And uh, 